Welcome to the Heat Wave. I'm Chewy, and thank you for listening. So today we have a very special episode in which we uh, had a conversation um, with uh, with another podcast, Decolonize Buffalo. Um, this program we've been interacting for quite a while, and um, we decided to record an episode about um, um, Borderlands by Gloria Anzalua and. Um, all the, uh, the, the, um, all the problematic aspects of that text. Um, uh, we, we analyze like the, the, um, how, um, how problematic, how, uh, her understanding of, um, of Chicanismo or whatever, um, Chicanismo is, um, and uh, yeah, it was a very long conversation. Um, <coughs> we gave a lot of our perspectives, um, and it, it it was very fruitful. Um, our feed uh, is just basically going to be the the same episode that is being released on Decolonized Buffalo's end, but we just have an intro and outro. So if you listen, if you're listening to us for the first time, welcome. I hope you'll. You'll enjoy the show, and uh, yeah, let's get right into it. Okay, we have another episode. Today we're going to talk about Gloria Anzaldúa and her work, and criticizing it, and you know, or talking about it within the indigenous perspective. Uh, our first guest is Joseph Ramirez, right? And I, he's, uh, I'm not sure your pronouns. Is it he, him, or they? Yeah, it's good. Okay, he's uh, um, he's been on another, another another episode. Sorry, it's early in the morning, and um, about uh, kind of like race shifting. It is race shifting, right, within uh, the in the Philippines. Um, mm-hmm. So please listen to that episode. Uh, it's it's I think that's the only episode we have on the Philippines. And uh, can you, Joseph, can you quickly introduce yourself? I know you you don't have that much time, yeah. and, and then get into yeah your observations. Oh yeah, so uh, my name is Joseph Jojo. Um, I'm an indigenous person from the Philippines. Uh, my father is part Igorot from the Ifugao people. Uh, my mom is uh, Sambal Aita, our Ita people, uh, Sambali, Sambali and Iranun from the Moro Nation. And so uh, I, my project looks at sort of how the ethno-racial project in the Philippines gets blurred and sort of gets disregarded within the US-centric Asian, Asian American and ethnic studies framework, which demands nationalist identities without having conversations with the eth- ethnic or racial construct outside of white settler nation states. Thank you. And about, you know, we're gonna dive right in real quick because mm-hmm. you don't have that much time with Ansa Dua. Um, what are your critiques? I have my own critiques and I wanna mm-hmm. see them until later. And we have other guests coming on too. Yeah. And I'm gonna let everybody speak so I don't take time, you know. So what are your observational critiques on Al Dua? 
I think for me, my biggest one would be like it served a particular uh, theoretical and historical framework back then. Um, and that many people actually just stick with it, like as if theories and these sort of frameworks that she and Moraga present are, are canon, right? Uh, that there can never be critique, that it can only move forward as, as a, a positive theoretical framework or positive like decolonization or indigenization process without having conversation with what does it mean in the contemporary moment, right? What does it mean when we have various new uh, conversations around identity, very around indigeneity, around um, settler colonial state, like those terms never really was part of that conversation when Anzaldúa and Moraga were writing their pieces, right? Uh, settler colonialism well, is fairly, uh, a fairly young theoretical framework that would have never had a conversation back then. So Anzaldúa's work served a purpose and it should also be Critiqued, it should never be canonized as like the you know the holy grail of 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 the of Chicanexmo or Chicanismo uh, theories uh, along with indigenization, right? And so, what does it mean when a lot of these ethnic studies framework that are being used in the United States are are being um, sort of raised up to maintain raised sorry raised up uh, without having conversation with Indigenous peoples and outside of the U.S., right? So ethnic studies is my critique, which Anzaldúa and Moraga and other folks have been very, like you know, prevalent and very uh, like um, monumental in, is still coming from a U.S. framework. It's still coming from a U.S. centric. Uh, what does it mean to be in the empire, quote unquote, in the middle of of power and having these critiques on identity, race, uh, race, uh, racial construction, indigeneity? without having those full conversations with the nation state that they're trying to connect with. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that I, I, I see is like they this the, her works get seen as the voice of indigenous peoples when it her, you know, even herself in her work, like especially in Borderlands, she, you know, she doesn't even have that strong connection with just Mexican nationalism in the first place, you know, and she talks about that in her book about um, not not knowing um, certain phrases or something, you know, and I was just, you know, kind of confused. Uh, <laughs> the whole book, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm going to talk about it later. So, um, and how does this, you know, like critiquing, obviously, you know, you are critiquing uh, people like this, like Azadua and, and others, uh, within Chicanismo because it pertains to your work too, right? So can you quick again, you know, for people that haven't heard your episode, how does this fit into what's going on in the Philippines? I think when it comes to anything with, to do with colonial colonial structures or quote unquote, right, the post-colonial, the formalization of colonial powers, um, it sort of sticks into this mentality of like, what does the pre look like? And the pre is always going to be an imagined space as this sort of like monolithic homogenous where, you know, everybody was like the same, same identity, same culture, same struggle, same movement against oppression, against colonial structures, without having actual conversations that what does it mean to have these, you know, imagined borders that, that was created by colonialism that's being maintained during this decolonization indigenization process this borderland which you know like this sort of mythological place of what was and what is now 
it's also part of this romanticized notion of what could have been back then. I think that's where uh, I get really frustrated in because decolonization, indigenization still has this romance of what could have been rather than what is, right? The realities that there are different uh, communities back then before the establishment of the modern nation state, that not everybody was in conversation, that everybody was in alliance against uh, colonial powers. And then what happens after colonial, quote unquote, formal colonization, right? Who got to maintain the power? Who got to um, create and maintain the modern nation state and its current boundaries and its current borders? And even then, like, you know, those conversations somehow have more, uh, more, more push in diaspora, more like, you know, in for, 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 particularly for Filipino Americans, and I guess you can say also in, in Mexican or Chicano movements, that it's, it's very centralized in the US discussion. So what does it mean when we think about decolonization? What does decolonization look like for those in the quote unquote, uh, you know, nation state uh, without having conversations with those in diaspora, one. And two, there are indigenous peoples there too who are, you know, marginalized, who are othered, who are, you know, in the periphery of the nation state, who is also having these discussions, but are not part of it, part of the national discourse, because they're seen as the other, right? But then they become the romanticized, uh, sort of like the vehicle for many folks who are trying to indigenize to come to and sort of embody. And so therefore, for me, as part of someone who's part Igorot, um, particularly part, part uh, Ifugao, uh, from the Ifugao community, my, com my culture, my identity has become sort of a prop uh, for, for, for many Filipinx Americans to try to find their indigenous pre-colonial self. And then in that, in, that relevance, in, in that relationship to the borderland of trying to figure out where and when these sort of identities cross and these changes happen, there's always those baggages of who gets to claim these identities and what identities are also left out in the conversation around you know, when they say the border crossed us, well, some folks also have different relationships with these terms borders, right? There's national identities, there's national conversations between indigenous communities with both nation states of Mexico and the US, right? And so what does it mean when we erase that to make sure that we have a national or singular identity when it comes to, you know, an indigenous, indigenized uh, again, not very different between indigenous uppercase as a political statement and indigenous, you know, anyone can be indigenous, you know, you know um, but as a political statement against the nation state and against the modern construct of what it means to be an other community within a framework of nationalism. Yeah, thank you. And I, and I agree. I think, I think, you know, there, what, I want to say two things. So one is when you said about you know which identities are being uh, left out of the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. I think uh, that's really important when when it comes to this because you know uh, when it comes to you know Chicanismo, especially like Gloria and her work and other uh, Chicano writers, uh, Indigenous people has have been critiquing these ideologies or Chicanismo in general, right? Or Chicano nationalism or Mexican nationalism and you know, they've been uh, either, you know, pushed aside, you know, or left out, totally left out of the conversation or belittled. And, um, you know, uh, that that's one thing I see um, happening a lot and it has, it, ha it has happened with me, you know. And the number two is when, I think it was Kim Tauber, uh, she spoke this last, uh, 
uh, Thursday and the unsettling genealogies, she brought up a point, you know, if you take off the take out the word identity when it comes to, you know, Chicanos being uh, indigenous and, and then, uh, but, well, I, I forgot how she said it, but, you know, because <laughs> Kim Talbert obviously uh, speaks a lot better than I do, but, um, but which, which community do these people claim, which indigenous community do these people claim they, they belong to, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, the Chicano uh, nationalisms is, 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 you know, it's like I said, it's a nationalism. It's a nationalism based on Mexican nationalism, which is, is a settler colonial nationalism. So it's really like that community itself is not really indigenous. You know, it was there to, and it has been suppressing indigenous and blacks and, you know, and other communities in Mexico's. Um, but uh, when it comes to community, these people don't belong to a native community. You know what I'm saying? So what, and then that, Brings up what is chicanismo and that's a whole different conversation you know but uh but i had a podcast episode about with chicanismo and you know uh, dr aime Villarreal said that chicanismo is a political uh, ideology and, Ch- and chicano is a, is a political identity right so i think but even that i think it's very like uh, i'm very skeptical because you know what if what happens when you take a chicano and put him into mexico you know saying what if you, if you move that context of their political identity, right? Which is hmm. the US center based, right? And go and they go back to their, you know, home uh, territory, you know, like Mexico, that then that political identity disappears, right? Yeah. So that that it's really rough, you know, for me to hear they build this whole identity and use indigenous uh, aesthetics, you know, on, on top of their uh, uh, ideology when you know the, the conversation of indigenous sovereignty you know and the conversations of what do these communities need without them you know speaking over these communities right mm-hmm. and that's still <laughs> still happens now i mean this is why we're having these conversations right and it's you know going on with you know in the philippines you know and it's going on in, in the u.s and i think um you know uh it, people are starting to understand the, the 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 role of our sovereignty, but I think it's still being used or said in a really like weird way where people you can tell people don't understand sovereignty, right? And um, yeah, what are your thoughts? I don't know. I, I think there's just those those uh, again like a lot of the, the decolonization mythos comes from the diaspora, right? The whole Chicano movement and its route to this romanticized Aztec nation, right? And as as a way to also erase that there are various nations that was under the boat under these geographical structure that uh, what would be considered today as the map of Atslan that many Chicanos and Chicanos use, right? And so like it, it, it continuously pushes into these narratives of like what does um, the fantasy. Like it creates this utopic structure of like decolonization, indigenization as this, you know, like I said before, monolithic identity, right? And that, that, that erases the con or like, or not just erases, but silences the conversation happening outside of the US, right? So what does it mean for folks from Oaxaca or, or the Yucatan to have these conversations of indigeneity and indigenousness in relationship to Mexico? And what does it mean for them to say that's hey that's not our culture that's not our land we're not part of this 
this this Atlan Chican, uh, Chicano movement because of our own indigenous sovereignty here in Mexico in relations to the conversation with like let's say the Odom people in like who border you know Mexico and the U.S. like you know they have different conversations around that what is these constructs of the border and and na nationhood right and so when we think about Chicano and and Chicanismo as like as political identity yes it is it was a political and it served a time where it was very prominent in this you know 50s 60s and uh, early 70s uh, moving forward but what does it mean for it to be maintained and be like sort of like suspended in that romanticized notion there's always my critique of even contemporary activism is there's always this look back into the 60s as if that was the monumental movement of identity and and you know uh of everything as if they were trying to imitate and mimic things that happened then and i'm just like there's there's you know there's what does contemporary activism and contemporary identity formation look like now you know why are we being stuck in these frameworks back then what why can't we critique those who've written prior to us right yeah. um and and without having fear of our own as an academic what does it mean for me to do these things without fear of being retaliated by like, other folks if i was an airplane that's fine yeah you know which uh and, and it's always interesting when as someone who there's another airplane <laughs> Like when some like and I think this is where we go with the race shifting also and like the pretendians and the pretend indigenous folks is if you play nice and you sell it enough, no one questions you. But if you're an indigenous person and you start questioning things, they ask for your background immediately. What's your blood quantum? Where are you from? How authentic you are. But someone yeah. who's selling the culture is is seen as like, oh, well, you know, all indigenous people have to be, you know reciprocal to each other they have to uh you know be they're always in content of sharing it's like so they create this romanticized notion of who we are um and the minute we're angry our blood quantum and our our, our identity is put into question everything is put into question oh do you do ceremony mm. or do you go to powwows like all this stupid shit i'm you know like i'm not saying that's stupid but i'm saying like the stupid yeah. shit that they, 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 they say and then they at the same time they were like, oh, but I got my DNA tests and I says I'm indigenous. How dare you? You're a gatekeeper and all this stupid shit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's always funny with these terms gatekeeping, like who gets to gatekeep? The people who are trying to preserve their community and their identity or the people who are trying to find their identity and community and trying to info, like, you know, get into it. Like part of that sovereignty and self-determination means we get to get gatekeep our own communities. Like we need to preserve our culture and our identity before it's marketed and sold elsewhere, right? Or being yeah. appropriated elsewhere. Like, why are we being called gatekeepers? Because we know our communities and our cultures and sometimes we refuse to share. And it's okay, that's part of our sovereignty. Like our, our self-determined right as indigenous people. Like, no, we don't wanna share our identity and our culture with you. Even though you might say that you're part of it. Like, you know, there are moments, we know that there were fakes. We know that there were people who, manipulated uh dna's testings and records who are now part and now selling our identities elsewhere like we have the right to be angry but for some odd reason indigenous people are not allowed to be angry we always have to be the you know happy sharing constantly in mode of practice of identities so i i think that's where like they get really thrown off and they see an angry indigenous person calling things out yeah I, you know at the same time 
I see that whenever we do question, we get called as colonial. It's a very like mm-hmm. copped out, like, hey, you're colonial. It's a very colonial way of thinking. Well, that's mm-hmm. a very conservative way of thinking. This is the new way. And mm-hmm. I was like, what you're doing is not new. You know, what you're doing has been going on for like over a hundred years now, you know, this indigenismo. Mm-hmm. And it's just, they, they don't understand the history of indigenismo or like, the, the trouble it caused and, yeah, I think me and you were talking about this right before the, the, the recording, uh, how <clears throat> when a native person uh, critiques these, you know, ideologies, Chicanismo, you know, like uh, settler nationalisms, and it's always like, oh, how much school do you have, you know, mm-hmm. and, and show me articles and then, and then, you know, and not until we enter academia and we still get, we still get asked these like, just like you say, these questions like, who are you? Like, but you know, but look at look at Gloria has it's very popular, you know. Like, but she's indigenous. How can you? Dare, how dare you? Like, but how can you question it? And you know, the classrooms teach this stuff. But it's like, you know, so now we have to you know climb this colonial institutions and then make our voice be heard, and at the same time be you know shitted on by the same people within the institutions, right? So we want to talk about that a little bit before you leave. Yeah, I think it's it's always going to be based on whose, you know, academic followings you are. And I think, you know, it, it's always going to be the newer wave of conversations around in, like Indigenous peoples and like, you know, critiques of that. That's going to shake the foundation of, let's just say, ethnic studies. Ethnic studies is not ready to have conversations about the ethno-racial projects and indigeneity outside of white settler colonial states. Um, and so what happens then with indigenous people from Mexico, Central and South America, Africa and Asia coming in and saying, no, that's not the conversation you want to have. And so for them to say, no, this is the ethnic studies framework, that is actually colonial structure in itself. That is the form of academic colonialism yeah. because you're not allowing indigenous people to have the sovereignty to define ourselves, our relationship to the nation state and the relationship to the people in the nation states in diaspora. Right. And also our relationship with indigenous peoples here where we have settled. Right. And so mm-hmm. we, we, you know, we, there's always these movements around academic fields around the newest theoretical framework. Yes. And and it's always going to be critiqued, whatever you remember, whatever you've written uh, an article or a book is already five years old. And so new waves of you're a reference already. And that's just always something my mentors always say, you're a reference already, you're old. Even though you've published something two years ago, you're old already because people's new waves of thinking is coming through, which is true. And I think there's moments that that should be seen and appreciated. And there's moments that we should also implement that on those who have written prior to us. We cannot canonize individuals who've written monumental work appreciated at that time, uh, you know, and not be critiqued in the contemporary as if Anzal Dua's work is, is, you know, it it can never be critiqued. No, all academic work should be able to be critiqued. All academic framework should be put on the, you know, in relations to X, Y, Z, right? And and we are creating these sort of like academic saints uh, sort of thing that, you know, you cannot touch her work, you cannot touch these particular individuals' work. um, But, you know, there's always going to be, you know, uh, contemporaries who never agree with them. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think it's different between, um, you know, critiquing old work and thinking you're critiquing old work by doing the same shit. Mm. They are like, you know, when the Chicanos and, and, you know, these these new wave of 
just people that are doing the same in the Anismo, uh, like the, the talking points. But yeah, I know you're the go soon and I appreciate your time. We have other guests and uh, I guess our time didn't cross over. Um, yeah, so thank you and uh, I appreciate it. And we'll, we're, you we'll know, just, for sure. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate your time. Peace and hang up yet. Yeah. Okay, bye. Cool. Okay, we're um, back. Um, Joseph is gone. He had uh, an event to go to, and now we have other guests. I will you guys please introduce yourselves. Uh, hello, everybody. I'm ML. Um, I'm Chewy. Uh, we're part of Mecha uh, at AUC. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> really quick intros. Uh, but okay, so <laughs> we'll talk about, well, we're here because, you know, we have conversations before we, you know, we've met over Zoom um, and mm -hmm. um, we've talked about uh, Gloria's work um, and we have, you know, critiques of our work. And as I said, just like in Joseph, I want all of you to have your say before I say anything, right? So can you mm -hmm. please, uh, yeah, talk about why we're talking about Gloria Anzadula. Uh Right. Uh, well, we're talking about her mostly because uh, in our chapter, we went through a like a process. Well, I don't know if our chapter, but Mecha in general went through a process of changing their name because of the um, uh, um, all the like, what is it called? Indigenismo tied to like the Mecha name. Uh, and like, you know, Mexico centrism and just like in general, you know, anti-indigeneity and anti-blackness. Um, so because of that, we started reading a lot about like, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jose Vasconcelos, cause, uh, he had sort of like a very big role in like, uh, in starting those myths and stuff. Um, and that's how we, uh, started, uh, uh, getting into Ansaldua cause uh, she draws a lot from him and she's used a lot in like Chicano studies departments, um, um, especially because of her Borderlands book. So, yeah, um, we received a lot of heat from like the name change and stuff. So, uh, yeah, we're just continuing that trend, I think. Right. <laughs> and, and wait, can I ask, were you there during the name change? The conference? Yeah, yeah, I, I was personally there. Yeah. Can you talk about your experience there? Was it because I I didn't. I think I forgot or you told me or yeah, was there like uh, a lot of discussion? Was there or what? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was like two years that we had to discuss and like it took literally all day both. Uh, so there was a, um, a a national meeting in 2017 in Utah where it was decided after all, like a bunch of discussion and people uh, doing workshops and stuff at the conference, uh, the national conference, Mecha National Conference in Utah, uh, about like the indigenismo and like uh, the origins of Aslan and, and like all the ideology and stuff. Um, by the guy that made that uh, article I sent you, um, I forgot his name, uh, that talks about Aslan and stuff and like reflections on the uh, Chicano student movement and stuff. Um, <clears throat> anyway, at, in twenty in twenty seventeen, that's when it was decided that 
uh, all the chapters will go and do the research and then decide if they're going to change the name in 2018 at the at the next national conference. And so the idea was that we would decide then, like if we should change the name or not. And so, um, uh, like the hosting chapter actually didn't want to change the name. <laughs> and so they tried a lot of like, leave it to the very end stuff. And then, uh, and then they, they had like a little bit of control over the agenda and stuff. And they tried to put like the, the name change at the very end of the agenda and stuff too. Uh, so everybody got mad and like started yelling at that meeting <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and then we put it at the beginning and it basically took up the whole time talking. Yeah. Like four or five hours, um, speaking about this stuff. Uh, we even had like, uh, guest speakers trying to influence like the conversation, uh, which people got mad about because it was supposed to be a closed meeting. It's not supposed to be open to the public. Um, and, uh, so uh but at that uh conference it was decided 23 to 3 i think there was only three dissenting chapters so 20 something to three um uh that we were gonna change the name of the organization what two we couldn't fucking decide <laughs> so um so we were we we said okay everybody go and do research the whole and then come up with ideas for next year and uh, the next year it was hosted here in, at ASU <clears throat> where we actually, everybody came and then uh, we changed the entire like structure of the conference so that we could have more discussion and stuff. Uh, so we could actually like decide on a name. Uh, and then, you know, and then we had our big meeting uh, and decided, yeah, to change it, just drop the acronym. Yeah. Okay. So we changed a lot of other stuff too in the papel list. Yeah, like I, I the know, preamble I, and etc. I read, yeah, I read about. I was kind of in the outside, looking in, trying to get, you know, who was, uh, what, what was going on, <laughs> you know. Uh -huh. And um, okay, so I, one question I have to ask, and I think it's really important: Were there any indigenous people from Mexico at this conference fighting for the name change? For the name change, I don't know if from Mexico specifically. But uh, from um, Central America, definitely. It was mostly by Central Americans, I think. Yeah, um, that's, that's a different conversation too, because I know uh, I know we're getting off topic away from Gloria, but I think there was even a conversation during that time that should Central Americans even be considered Chicanos, right? Mm -hmm. And then and it got heated, right? Oh and yeah. When the, the Central American uh, voices were saying, well, "This is why." It's, you know, we were having the discussions. This is why, you know, it's very Mexican centric, you know, mm -hmm. and I, you know, it, I, I don't think I have the right to say, you know, if, if Chicanismo should include, you know, um, uh, Central American voices, but, you know, I understand their concern, right? right. And, and, you know, even that, that itself is, is, is a big critique of Chicanismo. Um, and I had a recording with the, uh, Really early, really early on in this podcast, uh, it was it was an episode called "Transforming the Talk," and I asked Dr. Amy Villarreal, and she said, and I asked, I was like, "Well, you know, Asian people have the same, you know, um, diaspora when you know they they 
they come here and they lose their language and they get assimilated to to um, you know American nationalism whatever and could they be considered Chicanos and she said yes and those are Asians so I was like oh that's kind of <laughs> like I'm kind of mm-hmm. like oh I don't know about that but okay that's your, that's your answer you know but you know that that mm-hmm. tells you that this discussion is everywhere you know but right so, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, we even had that discussion in the in the resolution circle at the national conference too, because um, there was some um, Asian Latinos uh, that at the conference, and they felt very excluded as well um, because they they consider themselves Chicano, um, and uh, but at the same time, they're like, well, we're not Mexican, you know. <laughs> um, uh, even I mean we're we're not fully Mexican, you know. They're they're like uh, uh, their dads are like their some of their parents are are Mexican or Latino or whatever, uh, but they're um, like they they're from here. I grew up in LA, you know, and uh, but like half like their other parent is Asian, uh, so they they would consider themselves uh, Chicano, um, and uh, they 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 were talking about how they they more um i guess uh and uh identify with the chicano culture in la than with like mexican culture you know um so yeah mm-hmm. and i think that's that, that's the whole different conversation you know yeah uh, what is what, what is chicanismo is it a you know a political ideology is it ethnicity is it an experience you know, and I, and I right. talked to Dr. Like I said, uh, we had, had the uh, Chicanismo episode, setting the record clear with Dr. Aimee Ria Real. She said, I don't know how you guys agree with this, but she said Chicanismo is the political ideology in, in Chicanos or, or, or the uh, political identity, right? Which I, that itself I have critiques about, you know, so. Right. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we can get into the book, you know, and, 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 and you know, what are your thoughts? I mean, that that definition of Chicanismo is like literally straight from the Mecha documents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it like it all comes from like the 60s and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, even that itself, like I, I, I had a, I spoke to a native uh, comrade of mine because, I, you know, I'm trying to write some stuff and and he, you know, I was like, I, I need something to peer review my thoughts, you know, and then. He, he, you know, I'll talk about him later, you know, about, about the whole, what is Chicanismo? So, right. um, yeah. Um, and I think one of you were, were, was the one that recommended Stalin on nationalism or something like that, right? Oh, right. Yeah, that was me. That was a good, that was a good yeah. On the national question, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we can go about, you know, which I, we can talk about that after. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so go ahead. And what are your thoughts on Gloria Anzaldúa? Uh, I mean, do do I do I go first? I'll go first. Uh, yeah, because I actually with the thing. <laughs> uh, well, I have like critiques over here, chapter by chapter. But I guess I'll just go over like a in general what I don't like. Um, and then I guess I could go a little bit into specifics. Um, in general, uh, what I think it does is like, uh, reify race. Um, uh, so like in in my, in my mind, right. Like we want to, uh, deconstruct 
uh, race, but like she just like she takes the idea of race like sort of wholesale from uh, Vasconcelos and uh, just like adds onto it what she thinks like would uh, sort of uh, uh, make it more palpable, I guess. You know, and then another thing that I don't like about the book <laughs> is that that uh, she uses uh, Spanish a lot, uh, but uh, her Spanish is not very good. But the 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 English is perfect, you know, and <laughs> that I don't like that. Uh, it's like I don't know. It's just like if you're gonna say that, like, uh, what she does argue in the book about how Spanglish is sort of like a Chicano uh, language or whatever. Um, but if you're going to say that, then uh, from my experience, you know, once when people talk in Spanglish or whatever, uh, it's not like perfect English, you know, <laughs> and perfect Spanish. Uh, it's like um, in like or, or perfect English and, and bad Spanish. You know, it's like sort of like a mix of like bad English and bad Spanish, you know? Yeah. And I can say that there are obvious rules and like conventions when it comes to spanglish in general so um yeah it was like i'm familiar with her works personally and yeah it's a bit difficult to read sometimes it, and it feels like sometimes it's like it's forced or it's just she, she's just pandering right um so like from from that from that point of view um uh in the like the very first chapter, it starts off talking about how Chicanos are, or Chicanes are, descendants of Aztecs and Spaniards, um, and how like the uh, both of the cultures live within East uh, Chicano and stuff, and uh, talks about uh, Aslan almost like immediately, <laughs> uh, and she literally uh, uh, talks about it in like a physical sense, like a place in the Southwest. Uh, uses it interchangeably, uh, uh, um, Southwest and Aslan, homeland, etc. Um, she uses those words interchangeably uh, in the book. Uh, so she very clearly thinks of like Aslan as like the Southwest, right? Like the actual um, uh, land here. And then she does say like when she, uh, like the land will be uh, quote unquote uh, Indio again. Um, they, and then uh, say, uh, but like, when she says that is very clearly talking about uh, Aztecs and Chicanos, not like actual indigenous people here. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's part of, uh, that's basically like the overview of like, uh, uh, like um, our critiques of it, you know, you want to go to chapter to chapter or do you want to go from there? Uh, yeah. I mean, she also, an another thing that like is in this book is like, the very uh what's it called clear new age ideas that i think were really popular at the time right like in the 80s when she wrote this uh it was really coming back and um i started looking into this and like there's a, a whole like new age school of thought that like kind of uh um uh talks about how like takes from uh uh, what's it called indigenous people from uh, Mesoamerica and like tries to like talk about like meditation and stuff in terms of like their religion and stuff. Um, so like that came out of like the Chicano movement uh, in the sixties too. Uh, so I think she's speaking of some of those vibes because uh, she even talks, I mean, 
there's it's very confusing at points because uh, I'm like, well, I don't even know what she's trying to say here <laughs> because so she talks it, about yeah, like stereotypes. Right. Uh, yeah. She uses a lot of like stereotypes of like uh, like indigenous uh, spirituality. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, she even like uh, I think in one of the chapters, she even like uh, talks about herself as being a shaman. And uh, yeah, it was very confusing. I think it's chapters five or six. Right. Um, uh, and that part was very strange. Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, th- this is like clearly like white people do this all the time like that. Uh, it reminded me of uh, that uh, the QAnon shaman because he like he, he like talks uh, he like as uh, talks about how he's a shaman and shit. But he like combines all kinds of like different uh, cultural practices from like all kinds of different uh, indigenous groups. And like, I felt like that sh- that's what she was doing in this book a lot too, you know? It's like, what, like stick to something, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Um, and then eventually she comes up with like this new, uh, new mestiza uh, uh, um, concept. Uh, which would be like the ultimate uh, mestizo form, I guess. Um, it's sort of like a, uh, an advancement on Vasconcelos's uh, uh, raza cosmica. She, um, she cites him too, and she mentions him. I think one. Yeah, yeah. One she like immediately. Two. Yeah, in the chapter, she immediately cites him, like chapter six um, from the get go, <laughs> like from the start of the chapter. And I'm not sure if she even read the. So I mean, she must have because she cites him, but I don't know how she could take that uh, message from his writing and like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> and then also like people reading her work. I don't understand how they could. Um, I don't know. It's just uh, very strange when I read it. And I was like, man, this is kind of terrible. Uh, I don't know how how many people read this and like thought, oh, this is amazing, you know, because <laughs> uh, we even had people here in the Metro room. Uh, from like the trans borders study department that uh, run uh, one of these guys runs uh, one of the orgs here on campus. And he was in here and I was trying to talk to him about, you know, what is your uh, like. Um, Do you want to explain the trans border studies department? Uh, that is? Yeah, the trans border studies department at ASU is the Chicano studies department at ASU. Uh, but they changed the trans borders because, well, because of the borderlands, uh, the book. Uh, they they uh think of um they they're yeah they're they're their view is that uh you have to view uh sort of like uh you have to the the study is more about borders than about uh, chicanismo or whatever yeah so uh so they they talk about ansalua like kind of a lot (laughs) uh so one of their uh um, graduate students was here and uh, he was talking about it and I was like and he was talking about how uh, they they have uh, they sort of conceptualize everything in terms of like the the duality of the border or something like that he was saying and I was like well I mean that, I guess that kind of makes sense but <laughs> I was like but that's kind of like a localized view don't you think I was like don't you have to think about like internationally like the, oh, the international situation and stuff uh, and he was like very confused about what I was saying. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And um, I think 
you know, when Joseph, I wish I wish you would have been there for the Joseph's uh, critiques. Uh, he said that, you know, he, she, her, I, I want to summarize real quick, you know, people listening, you know, have already heard Joseph and uh, kind of like she served her purpose, you know, on, d- during, um, for the audience she was writing that for, which is obviously mm-hmm. Chicanos and, you know, um, and, uh, and I think that's right, you know, because, um, you know, I don't know if I should give my thoughts on this or should I let you guys keep going? It's up to you. Uh, go ahead. Give your thoughts, I'd say. Okay. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I, I mean, I, I might go on forever. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, in her book, she, she mentions that, that like this like darkness in her, this like dark beast, right? Oh, and right. Her, this indigeneity as a dark beast. And that is yeah. shit shadow beast. There it is. I have the book here, and I was just like, "What the fuck is this?" Like, I don't know any natives that that uh, that describes their indigeneity as shadow beast. Uh, it's just like a dark figure, right? Yeah. And for her to write that, uh, I was just—it was really cringe, right? Yeah. And and she she yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, she also at some point in the book she talks about how. She equates her like sort of indigeneity uh, with like uh, machismo, and um, yeah, yeah, uh, and I was like, that's kind of weird. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't think that comes from indigeneity, <laughs> but she like talks about how she has to uh, sort of embrace that and and whatever, uh, which is strange. Go ahead. I kind of yeah. She says, you, uh, you know, this. Uh, one, this new culture will be white Mexican and Indian, you know, and, um, you know, it's weird because it's contradictory. Like, you know, they say that Mexicans are native and, and white mestizos, but at the same time, you know, they, you know, uh, but I think Mexican nationalism and indigeneity are two different things, right? This is my point of view. Right. But yeah, I, I saw I saw that part. Um, I also read, I don't want to like jump, but, you know, like it's a book from James Diego, Vigil is from, from Indians to Chicanos, right? I guess it gets, it gets quoted a lot about, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, within Chica- Chicanos departments. And yeah, we'll, we'll get into Aslan. So uh, obviously Aslan is a, um, you know, did they say this is like a spiritual thing or it's like an ideological thing? And that, that itself is, uh, is anti-Indigenous for the Indigenous people within uh, what used to be Mexico, right? Because now, now these people mm-hmm. have um, their own, you know, indigenous governments, their, their their own, you know, indigenous economies, right? And for them, for anybody to say, hey, like let's let's put this back into Mexican territory, because really, this this is what people that want to push this Aslan narrative is is giving the land back to Mexico, you know. So. Right. You know, I'm not saying that the U.S. is a better settler state, but you know, our conditions now, our material conditions now under U.S. Uh, colonization is a little bit different from the material conditions of like indigenous peoples within the, the settler state of Mexico, right? And mm-hmm. um, so I know people listening, they're going to be like, "Oh, you know, this guy's you know promoting being colonized under white people." I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the, the material conditions are obviously different. You know, our sovereignty in, in Mexico is a lot worse than the U.S. Right? So for for people to think, 
hey, you know, the, the native people in the, in the Southwest are, Southwest are going to be, hey, yeah, let's go back to Mexico or let's let's make this Mexico again. It's wrong. First off, and then from Indians to Chicanos, it says that San Diego is the heart of Aslan. If you ask the Kumeyaay here, <laughs> if they believe that in Aslan, they'll fucking shit on you. Right. And uh, I've asked, I, 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 you know, for, since I moved back to San Diego and it's and this is a conversation I, I, I plan to have on, on, on the podcast, having a, a Kumia person. I don't want to say the person's name and to talk about that. And, and you know, and the Kumia are, are, are like are, are have a board. Some of them are in, in Mexico and some of them are here in the U.S., you know, mm-hmm. and I think um, they don't believe in Aslan. So to call, you know, uh, San Diego, the heart of Aslan is is shitting on these communities on these community communities you know and their sovereignty right. i think you know um but you know they, they'll, they'll, they'll they'll make any excuse to do to, to you know justify legitimize the, the ideology but we know we have to go back to you know the inception what is chicanismo because we, you know and we have to go to all the way to you know to the, the, the um even before the independence of mexico which was you know, it was New Spain and the Mexico became, it was, which they had caste systems. And if you read the book mm-hmm. before Mestizaje by Ben Vincent III, that itself shows you, excuse me, <coughs> it shows you like the caste system. And it was, it was a fuck fest, you know, but there, there, it shows, you know, it, it shows you that there were a ton of people from Southeast, Southeast Asia and Filipinos that migrated uh, mm-hmm. into indigenous South, you know, Asians that migrated into Mexico really early on in the 1500s. And then, you know, the, the, the you know, the, the slave trade, uh, you know, uh, that, that there's a more black people were brought into Latin America, Latin America, including Mexico, you know, than mm-hmm. the U.S., a lot more, you know. Right, yeah. And how these caste systems mislabeled people. Right, and it mm-hmm. shows you that even Im- among priests that didn't like certain families, they they downgraded, you know, you know the birth certificates of some people. People had to fight it in the courts. You think about how how much of this happened, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and this is just the, the very small part, okay? Because if, if you go, I was reading this. Uh, I finished this book like uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I think mm-hmm. it was. Um, let me see where it says it was. Uh, uh, if you mix a, a marisco with a a a uh, Spaniard is a Chino, is an Asian person, which, which they weren't Asian. So this labeling of who is what is really weird and, and it is wrong, right? And then you have right. to go into, uh, you know, when Mexico, and there's a reason why I'm saying this. Um, when you go into Mexican independence and people wanted to move away from um, um, uh, that, that caste system, and then obviously mestizaje, you know, was a lot, mes, you know, mestizaje was a lot easier to to label people as mixed rather than you know um, this is weird, like twenty or more sub caste systems, you know. And I mm-hmm. think um, when obviously the the whiter caste or the whiter skin people were obviously. Um, labeled as better than the darker Mexican people, right? And if you read the book, yeah. Mestizo Genomics, uh, that book itself shows you that there were two mestizajes. There was one where people were trying to be white, and the other one where mm-hmm. they tried to include everybody that was dark-skinned, but both were fucked up, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, you know, we, we have to think about that. So then we had, like, European conquests, 
reconquest of Mexico, which was the Spaniards, the French, and the Americans. You know, it was a conquest because it took off half the land, you know. But you know, within that, it created this patriotism. So with you know, like trying to get people together and how to move forward away from the caste system. And the caste system, I think, it still exists today because if you talk to some Mexican families, like if you marry somebody that's in you know, a white family, they look at you as a better standing. You know, if you marry somebody yep. that's black, so that anti-blackness in the Mexican community, they, they mm-hmm. say, oh my God, why you got to marry a black person? There's all racism that's going on in our communities. So I, I think this, yep. this, this, this caste system still exists in my point of view, you know? So, you know, after the, after the um, Mexican revolution with all the, you know, the, the foreign invasions, like they had to create this nationalism and, you know, and guess who was here to create that? Jose Vasconcelos, right? Uh, and, yeah, I mean, the, that was after the revolution, I yes, think, I said, Jose yeah, Vasconcelos. That's what yeah. I said, after the, after the revolution. So, you know, and he became the, the minister of education in Mexico. Yep. And to say that, if to say that Jose Vasconcelos did not have an influence pushing his ideology is unfair. Right. So he. It's crazy. Yeah. I went to school. I I went to school in Mexico and they talk about him a lot. I mean, there's many schools in Mexico that are named after him. Um, And I mean, he's still thought of as a good uh, philosopher in in like academic circles in Mexico. So, yeah. So I don't see how anybody could say that there's no influence. Yeah. Well, I, I've heard that. I've heard that from Chicanos. I'm like, are you sure? Like, you do not know who this dude is? And it, it's the same thing with the muralist, the muralist movement in Mexico, which was done yeah. um, by, you know, Diego Frida and all the other, other artists too. You know what I'm saying? But those mm-hmm. are the big ones, right? That people here in the U.S. Yeah. know the Chicanos always push the image of Frida and you know, those are critiques of, of Frida from indigenous Zopatec people that she misappropriated there you know, uh, their culture and their, their, their aesthetics, you know, their, you know, and mm-hmm. she, she used it as a commodity, you know, to push this uh, muralist, in, which is called indigenismo. I really recommend people read Nations, Nationalisms, and Indigenas, the Indian in the Chicano Revolutionary Imagery by Lourdes Alberto. I sent it to you, right, uh, last week. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been holding on to this for a little bit, but I really appreciate this article. And that itself shows you um, it, ha- it has also critiques of Aslan, it has critique of Mexican nationalism, and how Chicano nationalism stemmed from Mexican nationalism, and how they used mm-hmm. indigenous people as an aesthetic, you know, as the, this, this romanticization of the past, but, you know, right. so, um, you know, all these things, you know, and it glorious, I think it's just like, you know, they, when there was like white feminisms, you know, there, there is white feminism, but they also, white feminists also, uh, they still push the, they still push the settler colonial agenda in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they still post, you know, nationalisms or whatever. And we want to critique white feminisms from anybody, from like, especially from people of color, black feminists or indigenous feminists critique white feminists. Of course, these white feminists have like, you know, they're, they're white liberal tears, you know, and, you know, <laughs> they don't like being called a colonizer or oppressor, you know, they want, they think just because they're feminists, they, they're, they're free from these labels. The same thing goes with Ansatua, right? Mm-hmm. I think she pushes these, these racist things from Vasconcelos, but just because she critiques you know, the machismo 
within Chicanese war, she rightly she did, right? I yeah. think because she critiqued it, it doesn't mean it frees her from the sh bullshit anti-indigenous or anti-black bullshit that she wrote, right? And, and yeah. the ideas that she pushed. I think she's a horrible person because of it, right? Yeah. And this is that's my own point of view. Anybody that pushes these ideas are horrible fucking people. They're anti-indigenous and they're anti-black in my point of view. And I think, you know, um, I think there's another book I, I would like to recommend. It's called Cruel Fiction by Randy Trevino. And I think she also criticizes uh, Ansabdua in her book, right? And mm -hmm. she's a poet as well. And I, oh. I think, um, you know, with all these things, you know, uh, but, you know, you go, you go back to the, to the, um, a little bit back before the revolution, the, the, this binary, even after the revolution, this binary of Spaniard and indigenous, you know, mm -hmm. had to be created, this mestizo binary, because, you know, indigenous were people were seen higher than black people, right? right. Like back in the caste system. So nobody mm -hmm. wanted to be mixed with, with black. And a lot of people would try to, and there's, there's proof, there's people that tried to move away from being labeled or move away from, um, um, being categorized as you know descendants of black, and they try to move like, no, I'm indigenous. Yeah, that, that happens all the time in Mexico. Yeah, um, it's the blancamiento uh, stuff. Um, I have a story to say. Uh, like, I have an uncle that is uh, who is a Afro Mexican. Um, he's from Veracruz, which is known for having a lot of um, uh, black people. Uh, or African descendant people. And um, I asked him recently, like, what what are your thoughts on Vasconcelos? And he basically like prefaced the whole discussion by saying that this guy, he is like a very um he's a he he's like a philosopher or he has a vision that's very much different and inspirational for the rest of Mexico or for the rest of like, you know, that's very much different from like what he knows. Um, he said that he basically said that um, um, it's a very inclusionary like ideology because um, it doesn't really like he he said that no matter what you where you are where you come from in Mexico no matter if you're indigenous no matter if you're black no matter if you're white no matter if you're um, Asian regardless of like if you're rich, poor, whatever, at the end of the day, you're Mexican first. And I was like, I didn't really want to um, confront him for that, but but it's just, it's a very, it's a strange juxtaposition because like, he also like calls out my family for, for treating him differently. He calls out people for treating him differently, but he doesn't like, I think just because of like, um, Vasconcelos and and all of these uh, these post-revolutionary um, theoreticians um, literally uh, race is not really like acknowledging the, the the social construction of race is not a thing in Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, like they acknowledge that race kind of happens, but it's in the background and. It's, they just think it's like a fact of life. Yeah. Race exists. Yeah. Um, there's no discussion about how race is socially constructed at all, almost uh, in any Mexican circle. Yeah. I would say. 
maybe in the academy, but I'm, I'm not there. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that shows how sort of deep the ideology has is spread in Mexico uh, of like the uh, this like type of race uh, conception of mestizaje. Uh, uh, like they literally teach it in school all the time. So like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, I don't know how uh, people can say, uh, and in terms of like how it influenced, um, uh, Chicanos, uh, the Chicano movement in here, cause people are like, will have, uh, maybe, uh, um, what is it? They, they would want to fight the idea that Chicanismo is influenced by Vasconcelos, but like Basque, uh, the Chicano movement happened literally after like decades of, uh, the Bracero program um, and the Bracero program itself happened after the revolution, um, after um, like all those people that were in the Bracero program were like uh, children and stuff when Vasconcelos came into, uh, became the Ministry of uh, Education. So they all got taught that stuff, you know, <laughs> uh, like uh, in the, the people in the Bracero program. So like they were all educated uh, with this like uh, new education uh, uh, curriculum that he made up after the revolution, uh, so that all all that's how all that started over here in the U.S. You know, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And so I, I do want to go back. I think uh, I forgot the person's name, the uncle story, right? Um, yeah. When it comes to when it comes to what I was trying to say, uh, finish my statement. Uh, Mestizaje. Uh, uh, was seen as like a very progressive idea because they, they accepted, you know, um, people from make different mixed backgrounds, whatever, into like more one close homogenous, you know, uh, mm -hmm. group. But you know, they still benefited from having, you know, or seen, you know, they still benefited from being seen better than black communities mm -hmm. and indigenous communities, so whole indigenous or black communities, you know what I'm saying? So they yeah. it was still the system where they were on top, right? Mm -hmm. So when, here's my, my critique. So we, we have to think about what is um, Chicanismo. And I've, you know, I've asked this question for 20 years now to Chicano, just quietly, <laughs> and, I'm not, and I don't engage in conversation. I'm like, hey, what is this to you? So they'll say, it's an experience. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, and then they'll say, you know, the, then we have the, the, the definitions from just like uh, uh, Dr. Via, uh, Via Real said, that is a political ideology and political identity. And the third one is an eth ethnicity. So we all know that even within Chicanismo or Chicanos, that's, there's an argument about who is Chicano. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so the, this, this, the ethnicity part is thrown out the window because, you know, like that can give you if there's no uh, concrete understanding of what it is or who can be, then it can't really, you can't really be, indigeneity can be given to you through that third one. The second one, which is a political, um, well, unfortunately, the, second, the first one is, is an experience. So I ask the people this stuff all the time. So let's say, uh, so I was told that Chicano is, the, the the kids of Mexican immigrant immigrant parents, right? So mm -hmm. let's say I migrated here, I was born in Mexico, and my kids were born here in the US, they're Chicanos. Okay, so what happens if the whole family gets deported, right? And I mean, does it happen? It's happened to a family member of mine recently, 
right? And you know, their kid also that's a US citizen gets sent back to Mexico, right? Mm -hmm. So if your political uh, a political uh, identity is tied to an experience, but when you go back to Mexico, where does that political identity go, right? Are you Mexican again, right? You, since you went mm -hmm. back to your, your homeland or, you know, what, what, this is where I said that I had a, a, a native comrade of mine, you know, uh, I, I told this to him, he said, you know, it all depends on the context where, where, where that person has the context political uh, uh, identity. So it's very US centered. So it's like uh, a Mexican that's, you know, that has parents that migrated here and their experience is, you know, with another settler colonial experience is the US. It's very different because, you know, in Mexico, a mestizo has a higher, you know, it's a higher caste than is an indigenous or black person. But when they come into the US, they're oppressed because this system here has white people on top and everybody else on bottom. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? So, and then they 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 want to sit on the table, on the settler colonial table, you know, because Chicanismo has a hard time addressing indigenous sovereignty, you know, and indigenous communities, the sovereign indigenous communities in the U.S. Because so why would, like I said, it goes back to Aslan, why would native communities agree to go to Aslan, you know what I'm saying? Or even agree mm -hmm. to have these people be seen indigenous people when back in Mexico, they oppressed indigenous peoples themselves, right? Right. And then not, here's the other argument. A lot of these immigrants are indigenous, right? From Mexico. Okay. Mm -hmm. But why are we not talking about their sovereignty, right? Why right. do they have to be labeled as Chicano? Why do their identities be, have to be uh, erased to in, in order to be considered Chicanos? Why they can be, can they, can, can they be Kumie, Zopatec or whatever? Right, put a page or whatever. Mm -hmm. Why do they have to be labeled as Chicanos? So is that an experience? So is Chicanismo an experience? An experience cannot give you indigeneity. If somebody comes here and is Chicano and they're actually indigenous from, from Mexico, then they're already indigenous. Chicanismo has nothing, mm -hmm. nothing to do with it. I'm saying same thing if since you know if a, a Mexican crosses into the US, then there's not indigenous, you know, just saying I'm Chicanos not make them indigenous, right? Right. So you know, and we have to think about that. So, you know, all, what are you guys' thoughts? Uh, I mean, yeah, I agree with uh, basically everything you're saying um, here. I mean, uh, I have, uh, you haven't heard of uh, people claiming that uh, Chiganismo is more of a nationality? Because I read that a lot um, in um, like sort of uh, more Marxist-Leninist uh, Chicanos uh, um, organizations. If you will go on uh, like Marxist.org and stuff and uh, um, Google Chicano in there, uh, there's some stuff that comes up about how it's a nationality and stuff and how they conceive it as a nationality. Um, uh, that work got defunded, uh, like split up and then. No, 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 no. Like the the ones that wrote that paper on Marxist.org, because it was like a Chicano nationalist organization um, that like sort of uh, 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 fused with other orgs. And now they're FRSO. That's oh, that's where they come from. FRSO is like a communist party or like um, they're trying to be a communist party in the U.S. <laughs> they're sort of like PSL. I do agree that Chicanismo is a nationalism because it stems from mm -hmm. Mexican nationalism. Just, it stems from Mexican nationalism. 
I'm saying? I right. think it's this Mexican nationalism. It's kind of weird. If you read uh, Before Mestizaje, if you read that and talks about like how like, you know, a native person, uh, you know, has a baby with a, a black person, they're called Lobos, which is fucking racist as shit, right? And and it creates this new 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 identity. So I think it's kind of it's kind of like they, they kept on their roots by creating a new new ideology or new nationalism. It's Mexican nationalism within US nationalism is Chicano, right? Which is really yeah. fucked up because it's like, what about the native people? You know, it's, it's again, it's very like deaf and blind to to native people in both yeah, the US and Mexico, right? Right. It's it's a it's a race uh analysis, I think, of like the world. Um they they everything's like race is like the foundation, I think, of that ideology. So it's not gonna go anywhere <laughs> good from that from that foundation, you know. I do want to say something because there's there's a book that gets, keeps getting cited by Chicanos, and I want to say something very very clear, right? Uh-huh. So uh, there's this book called Aztecas del Norte, uh, the Chicanos from Aslan by Jack Forbes. So I'm gonna I do want to say, and this is in re- reference to Jose Vasconcelos. So we all know that Jose Vasconcelos has a huge impact in Mexico, which is fucking racist as shit. Right. And mm-hmm. it created this indigenismo, you know, it's uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. But, you know, the point is this person, Jack Forbes, passed away in 2011 and he claimed to be Lenape. Right. And for the last mm-hmm. year, I've been asking Lenapes, uh, which is, a, you know, I think that, you know, they're, they're supposed to be an East Coast tribe. I think they're, they're I know Oklahoma, from my understanding, I could be wrong. But, you know, I asked them and they know Jack Forbes claim to be them and they know that jack forbes is not nanape he's a race shifter so now we have a race shifter in the u.s and i talk about race shifting right somebody that claimed to be native mm-hmm. which is not a white person that claimed to be native when he wasn't and then he claimed a fake lenape community you know and there was a, a paper about it. somebody gave me a paper i haven't read it yet because i've been in, doing other research but you know mm-hmm. they know he he uh he claimed Lenape when he wasn't and then he wrote a book how about Aslan and uh, and and you know and you know all these the same talking points uh, Vasconcelos said and you know and, uh, Gloria Anzadua you know said said too so it shows you that the influence of Vasconcelos has moved across the border then even like a fake native got influenced by that work right mm-hmm. and wrote this garbage piece of a book. And mm-hmm. when, when when Chicanos send me or they they, they I talk to them and they they, they, sh- they show me this book and I tell them that Napa was a pretend Indian dude he wasn't really really native he's a white person right and then they kind <laughs> yeah. they kind of step back and they're like you don't like but well but he says that Chicanos and he says that Aslan but this is how strong Indianismo was right mm-hmm. that that Jose forced this ideology towards all of Mexico, if, it's, if, it, if it reached in the US and there was a clown that wrote a book that was just straight garbage, imagine what <laughs> happened in Mexico, right? You know, yeah. it, it's, it's disgusting. And, it, and it's now, you know, now that, you know, I think, um, so I will say this, indigenous people in Mexico have been saying this for decades, right? I'm not new at this, right? So mm-hmm. my, my, I always tell this on a podcast, a lot of my, what I'm saying comes from me speaking to indigenous people from Mexico for, since for the longest time. And 
just saying, hey, man, they have critiques too. But the problem is, is that a lot of non Chicanos too, non-Native people, when, when, we, when they hear a Native person speak about these issues or critiques, they want us to do citations, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and it's just like, yo, this is what we think. So now as Native people, we have to climb the ranks within academia, which is a colonial institution, and then write our critiques and even then have to fight to have our voices presented. And this is why right now, this topic is so hot within Canada and within uh, uh, the U.S. when it comes to pretending these are Kim Taber, Daryl LaRoe, uh, Dr. Colburn, you know, like uh, uh, um, Pam Palmer, you know, all of these people and a bunch of other people I'm not mentioning. There's a rising movement to talk about race shifting because, and Jacqueline Keeler, because, you know, because of what's happening. And, you know, people would like to cite Ward Churchill as a native writer. He was also pretending it. And he was a very popular, you know, Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz. A lot of people like to quote mm-hmm. her and she's not a real native dude. And, and, and she's yeah. alive. She probably hears this conversation, but I don't care. Right. But she, she's been <laughs> outed as, as, as a pretend Indian. And this is the thing. So we have now a renaissance of native people saying no more. Mm-hmm. Our voices are not going to be hijacked by this pretend Indians, but this has been going on in Mexico for decades, right? And Native people yeah. in Mexico have been saying this stuff for decades. It's just the problem is nobody listens to indigenous voices and they 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 don't, they, they want to use academia as a way to say, hey, you're not an academic person, shut the fuck up, right? And that's a right. problem. And then we have the black critiques the Mexican black critiques of Ansatua, and they, it's the same thing happens, right? Mm-hmm. So it, people are listening. This is not new. So no, yeah, <laughs> not even close to new. <laughs> yeah. So I, like I said, I recommend reading uh, reading uh, Lourdes Alberto's work about the Chicano revolutionary imagery, and I, I, I I'm very passionate about this because <laughs> I, I really, I really do feel like it has seeped into like. Uh, everyday Mexican, everyday U.S. rhetoric, and it's becoming, it's been spread all over TikTok. TikTok's the worst, right? Oh, yeah, TikTok is the absolute worst. They have so much misinformation. I I, I constantly ask people, where did you hear that? Was it TikTok? Because you have to double check it, because yeah, I don't think that's true. Um, like, I, it's, it's happened so often now. <laughs> um, and there's, like, big accounts on there. They talk about like uh, the dumbest things about uh, indigenous. Like, uh, there's this one guy that like has this whole like, quote unquote, Aztec getup, um, and it I looks like that. he's, yeah, I, and he's like really popular, um, and he talks about how he's indigenous and stuff. But like, uh, there's like an actual indigenous person that like uh, stitches their video from Mexico, mm-hmm. and he's like, this guy is like pretending. Like, we I don't know where he get us all this stuff from. Uh, and and then he was like, and he's speaking English. I don't understand. <laughs> um, he he. Uh, but basically, he's like, uh, he's like, just because you look native doesn't mean like you know you can just fucking take any tribe, you know. Um, so like that, yeah, that's just constantly happening. Yeah, I think it's weird because like you know I I've been I talk about this. I've been doing activism, not activism, but organizing. Uh, you know, before the age of the internet. And, you know, uh, you know, before the internet, there were people that gave a shit about 
organizing. And then after the internet, it has made people use the internet as a way to get clouds or acceptance from a community, right? And they're not mm-hmm. really doing anything. And then at the same time spreading as to nine ideas, right? Yeah. And I think this is the, this, this is the problem. So um, I, it's, it's hard because, you know, I, I understand the youth want to help and they want to be, you know, um, you know, helping spread, you know, educate the population because they, they have passions, but they have to understand that, you know, having like a million followers and the next thing you know, spreading indigenismo, then I think there's indigenismo 2.0 coming up right now. It is, it's here, right? It's like the, the revival mm-hmm. indigenismo. And I see these accounts telling people to reconnect to their indigenous roots and and you're detribalized and whatever the hell. <laughs> but but then, you know, uh, they're like, oh, we hate Vasconcelos. We hate Vasconcelos. But the stuff they're, they're pushing it's the same shit Vasconcelos yeah. it, it, it wrote about. It's like literally the same shit. It's indigenismo. It's just now they're, they're disemboweling Vasconcelos. They're disemboweling Mestizaje. But the narrative itself that they're, they're pushing is the same. And they're saying that's decolonization. That's not yeah. decolonization. It's not, you know? <laughs> no. And it's hard because I tell people, if you want, really want to decolonize, if you're not part of the Native community, you need to shut the fuck up, right? You need to step back. <laughs> And then you need to let the state communities build tribal government and empower these governments. It's not about you, it's about the community themselves, right? Yeah. And, and they get mad because they want they want to make it like this hyper-individualism. Individualism. They want it to be about themselves, but it's not. It's about the community. It's about tribal sovereignty. It's not about, um, about the individual. It's about the community. And, I, and I've given lectures about the history of, uh, uh, the history of, uh, federal Indian law in the U.S. And I, I gave it to a group of Chicanos. And the, the question I got over and over again during the Zoom was, can we start a new tribe from detribalized people? And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, that is fucking wrong. You know? And if people read Becoming Indian from Cer- by written by Cersei Sturm, it shows you that the U.S. has a long time um, has, a, I mean, like there's like two or, two or three real Cherokee tribes and there's 200 fake ones, right? Yeah. It's, but it shows you that it's, even within uh, uh, the, the, you know, the, the conditions of, of the native people having strong sovereignty, there's still fake communities being risen up to steal this or to push their own agenda. So, but my worry is how many of these fake communities are in Mexico? Because there's like lack of sovereignty, right? Mm. So it, it, it shows but you. I think maybe in Mexico, it's maybe not the same because uh, you have more, like, I think a, maybe a sort of similar thing, but maybe a different because in, in Mexico, you don't really have like um the white people wanting to like be native uh because they already think they're native <laughs> uh because of indigenismo uh they, they already think they're part native so they the, the like they do different things i think like they they but like sort of very similar uh where like um like rich white people in mexico will have like uh all kinds of like aztec artifacts and stuff in their houses and shit um and like yeah and then like 
also like dress in like uh like sort of like uh traditional native uh stuff you know like uh like the zapotec stuff like uh and like wear uh stuff on their heads and shit you know uh <laughs> so they they do that but like it's not like in the same it, it's I, i guess it's the same thing but it's more generalized um it says like if everybody in the country was like thinking they were native um here in the u.s you know so like if everybody was a pretendian <laughs> um yeah. yeah that's the thing i tell people so when it comes to ratio for shifting pretendians i think um the u.s seller colonial co context versus the mexico seller colonial context are, are are similar but very different in the u.s mm -hmm. so the colonization those white people are proud of their british all they know they come from britain Right, they they're not yeah. they're not claiming to be native. Like I'm American, this is our roots. You know, was that the, the the Mayflower or whatever Plymouth Rock, whatever the hell it was. I, I don't, I don't care. But, yeah, you know, <laughs> but that's that's the thing, you know. But obviously, there's other. It wasn't just from from you know from Britain. It was also from Germany. You know, like there's a big German population in in, in Texas. Um, but you know, but they know their the origins are from Europe. For Mexico, you know, with mestizaje and indigenismo, that nationalism, Mexican nationalism, race shifts the whole population, right? They say, yeah, we're partially from, from Span Spanish, but we're all indigenous people from Mexico. And it silences, you know, indigenous critiques of Mexican right. nationalism and Chicano nationalism because everybody's a little bit indigenous right so when native people speak out they're like how dare you i'm indigenous too and it happened to me too in san antonio i i, I had this lecture i was giving uh within the grassroots and uh, the host was a chicana lady and uh i was talking about i wasn't even talking about chicanismo i was talking about strictly about the marshall trilogy and i was like hey you know we're, we're dealing with cellular nationalism i was talking about decolonization in the end and i was like you know we're having trouble You know, I was like Mexican nationalism is also settler colonial. And she looks at me, she was like, don't talk to me about indigenous issues. I'm part Aztec. And I was just like, well, <laughs> okay, uh, well, I was just like, I'm done. Oh, you know, <laughs> lecture over. So lecture know, over. <laughs> I was like, I'm not gonna argue with you because it's your it was your it was her building, right? So yeah. I was just like, I'm I'm out. So um, but um yeah, so Yeah, I don't want to talk too much. I, th I think I talked a lot, but yeah. No, it's um, fine. But how do you feel? Because I feel like a lot of Native Indigenous people or Indigenous people from Mexico, sorry, uh, don't want to join Mecha because of these things. Do you have thoughts on that? Have mm. you heard that? Or what are your thoughts on that? Or Yeah, I mean, Mecha is like uh, uh, mostly in the university. So like... <laughs> I guess indigenous people from Mexico don't even really make it out here. Um, so there's that problem. And they don't even know about it. Yeah, they don't really know about it uh, most of the time. Yeah. Uh, but we've had, tr I mean, we, we have, uh, there's always been indigenous people in Mech, I think. Uh, but the, the problem is the, um, I guess the history. Yeah. The, like once you know about it, a lot of people find out like the history about it and like it's obvious that it's very chicano you know like through because of the history uh so like people have trouble 
I would say, like we have had uh, people say, you know, oh, I thought it was just a Mexican thing um, a lot. Yeah. And do you run into, because obviously, you know, um, Chicanos that that say the same thing that that you guys are saying run into a lot of like uh, shit. I mean, you, we both talked about how we have to say Uh Chicano haters you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, within, within uh, you know, stalkers for like 10 years now. And, you know, obviously, you know, you have hate, but uh, do you ever, what's your, what's your, what's your feel on like the, is there a growing change or do you think there's the static quo is still very strong when it comes to, you know, challenging these narratives? Um, I think that like uh, it's, uh, it's strong in the academy. Um, in in like academic places, but uh, in the general population, like uh, in terms of like uh, quote unquote Chicanos, uh, Latinos in the in the U.S., they don't know anything about Chicanismo. They don't know shit about like the nationality, about the stuff, like um, anything about this. Uh, like most people don't know anything about it. Like they think Chicanos are literally just Mexican Americans. That's that's the main prevailing thought amongst the population. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and you can just hear it from how they talk about La Raza and, and um, how supposedly we have like a unified experience and a unified um, perception of things. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm trying to figure out how to word this question. Um, uh, what are some, you know, obviously, because I get like, I, you know, friends of mine, they're, you know, Mexican from Mexico, and they, they send me text messages about like, oh, their experiences, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or messages in general, and they, they tell me like, oh, I, I ran into this, ran into that, well, they, while, while they travel the country, you know, because um, I, I, there is a division between, you know, people born in Mexico and people, obviously, Mexicans born here, Chicanos, right? And yeah. I think there's a frustration um within mexican mexicans you know how because I, I i've told this story before i don't know if i have you heard it when i was young i was like a 10 years old and obviously living in southern california los angeles and i asked my mom one day i was like what is chicano i don't understand and she told me um those are just mexicans born in the u.s she was like don't mm-hmm. listen to them they think they're better than us and I was like, <laughs> I was just like, what? Yeah. Right? And it kind of was told weird. me the same thing. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just people, yeah. I mean, she said the same thing. <laughs> and it confused me. I was 10 years old. I was like, what? So, but you know, so you all of you were born in Mexico or were you or is this no, you just know? me. Okay. Yeah, so, I do was you, born. Do, so do you do you think there's like um, so I, I, I don't know. I feel like the Mexican population does not accept these ideologies when it comes to like Aslan. I think Aslan is like a creation of, you know, um, uh, Chicanismo. Chicanismo. And because Jose yeah. Vasconcelos, um, you know, I don't think I've ever. Yeah, he doesn't talk about that. Aslan, yeah. But I think he would yeah. have been proud. For 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 people, <laughs> I think he would have approved it. He would be like, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely, yeah. So that's something, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but 
but do you feel like that there's like that difference uh, oh yeah absolutely so my brother is in prison and uh in prison uh you actually uh there's uh the chicano ideology is actually pretty strong uh <laughs> um and they they even had danza and like they pray and stuff uh uh in in uh in prison where he's uh, at uh and he 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 like laughs at them because he's like these fools are not even Aztec. what are they talking about like <laughs> and uh like my mom would say the same thing and he's like these 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 guys are not Aztecs. like they're not from like you know they're not they're not you know they're not nawas you know they're i don't know what they're doing all this stuff um and like yeah no it's not accepted like almost at all i, I would say in the in the mexican community like from mexico you know they're yeah. more about they're more about I, I would say uh um in terms of identity they 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 care more about their state than than uh than like uh, all that stuff in chicanismo yeah, so have you guys, um, are you guys up to, or, or do you know, have you heard about that whole, it is only within communists, um, like, I know you, you know, you recommend to me, Stalin, are you up to the whole patriotic socialism critiques? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We hate so, them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the homies hate them, yeah. Yeah, but, all my homies yeah. hate them. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Okay, so I gave that Lourdes Alberta article to a native comrade of mine, and you know he lives in California, like Northern California. He read it and he was like, <laughs> like it, was, it was good, but he said he said that Chicanos or, or he said not Chicanos, but uh, Chicano nationalism and Mexican nationalism is literally the same thing as patriotic socialists, right? And I was like, oh my god. Uh. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, I was. I, I never thought about that. It was like, like a couple weeks ago. I was like, oh my god, and I and I, and I, I agree because you know that the white patriotic socialists um, are trying to. They don't like the word decolonize, but they don't like land back. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the whole Caleb Malpin thing, right? And yeah. Vaz and Vaz, and they were. I hate those guys. Yeah, me too. We, <laughs> I hate those too. I, I, and they were they were talking shit about land back, and but they're trying to push this, you know, settler. Uh, patriotism and i think in your in the stalin uh, uh, reading it, stalin said you know if you if you at attach yourself to bourgeois uh, bourgeoisie nationalism it's gonna fail right yeah and and i think that's and i was like yo yes thank you but i think you know yes thank you <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> exactly and i think i think mexican nationalism and Chicano nationalism are the bourgeois, bourgeois nationalisms yep. so and you know you can ahead. totally see that from their creation uh yeah. mexican nationalism was created by the criollos in mexico who retained power after the after the after the uh overthrow of the of the uh of the spanish empire from mexico you know they stayed in power like uh, through this uh like fucking uh uh, idea of mestizaje like they created it after you know but the, the reason is because they wanted to stay in power you know and then in the in the after the mexican revolution which was defeated by the way you know it, a lot of people don't like to recognize that the mexican revolution did not succeed it was a defeat you know uh 
both uh, Pancho Villa and Zapata were murdered uh, or like disappeared. Uh, <laughs> pretty sure they were both killed. Uh, uh, um, so like, it, it's not like they succeeded, you know, and like the, what was made afterwards, what was pushed afterwards was to retain the bourgeois uh, power, like the, 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 the people, the class, the, the, the ruling class's power, you know, and that's why they pushed that because like, uh, you know, the Zapata and then we're like trying to dismantle it, uh, it's and stuff. So like they sort of like, uh, quote unquote, uh, made the concession in terms of indigenismo. Uh, so like, uh, they, they, they used that, you know, and created that like nationalism, uh, because they wanted to like retain power, uh, because it benefits, you know, this, this like the nationalism that the Mexicans have right now and like the Chicanos have literally benefits like the bourgeoisie, you know, it's not it's not like the uh, like a, a true proletarian nationalism, you know. Yes, I love this Mar so, yeah. Marxist critique. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. And I think, you know, guys, like I said earlier, the, you know, the mestizos in power, uh, they benefited from having a. a because it, 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 within uh, the uh, the Alberto writing and um, the the Mr. before Mestizaje, you know they benefited from you know absorbing indigenous peoples into their settler states and creating a peasant class, right? Yeah. So they created they they needed that 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 you know that class structure where they are on top and the blacks you know and, and the indigenous were the the lower status and you know it's capitalism it's bourgeois shit you know yep. and I think. Um, yeah, after the revolution, you're killing the revolutionary leaders and then, then hijacking the revolution and then using misappropriated uh, indigenous identities, you know, and creating this ideology indigenismo is 100% hijacking and control and trying to control these, these, these narratives, trying to control the revolution. And there, there really wasn't. The revolution, and people say that if it succeeded, I, I think it failed, right? Yeah, it and, failed. And, so I think you know uh, these nationalisms are that are being pushed are 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 bourgeois nationalisms, and you, you heard it here first in the podcast. Yeah, and it's it's that they, they are the, the patriarch socialists of Mexico, yeah. right? And yeah. and when I see you know like I saw this thing, it was like uh, only Chicano scientific uh, socialism can, can liberate, and I was like, what? That that, that makes no <laughs> sense. You know, and I was just like, that's anti-Indigenous, anti-Black, and, you know, um, I, yeah, so what are you guys' thoughts? I don't know. You know, I, you, you said it, but does anybody else have stuff, you know, Marxist critiques? Um, yeah, I mean, in, uh, thoughts on the book is just, like, very clear to me that, like, her method of, like, analyzing was, like, very, uh, how, how do you say, like, what what was his name? Um, uh, postmodern, uh, yeah, because yeah, yeah, because like she takes uh sort of like a de de she de decontextualizes a lot of things, um, and like puts them in in a different context, like um, you know, like uh, well, yeah, she does it throughout the whole book, like uh, uh using like all kinds of different um uh ideas from uh or or cultural practices from like different uh um indigenous groups to like sort of uh make her point um <laughs> but she doesn't really take uh 
like what 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 uh Marxist Leninists would say that the historical materialist uh view of history, you know. Uh, so it it this is what it leads to, I think, uh like this kind of uh like garbage. <laughs> uh yeah. just like a historical uh pseudoscientific, definitely she like um um uh, like the says a lot of like weird stuff about like supernatural stuff uh, uh so yeah the whole shaman thing it is right i think that, that that person there um did say uh anybody that calls themselves shaman is his automatic red flag i agree and uh you know it's, it's, it's there's a lot of native stereotypes you know but that goes on a lot about within chicanismo i think i heard that mm -hmm. That that a conference lately. I think I showed you guys that link, Aslan conference, or I don't know what it was. Um, oh right, right, right. It was a lot of that stairs. I was I was listening to it live, you know, when, when it was going on, and I was just like, this is really bad. So, uh, <laughs> and it's uh, I just kept quiet and it's heard, you know, because I think I have to feel, but I think there's a lot of stereotypes and I mean even the the, the conversation of Chicanos you know, misappropriating indigenous cultures, especially sacred cultures, is a whole different episode because that happens so much, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I think, you know, with talking about, going back a little bit about the Marxist, once, you know, I think, I think, um, you know, people want to be on the right side of history and I think one one reason why people race shift, especially you know in the U.S., because when they they don't have ties to certain uh, communities like Black communities or Native communities, uh, and they feel like they're being let their voices are belittled in in the in decolonization, you know, in revolution. Mm -hmm. But I feel, and this is why I say in the podcast, I reach out to the Chicano community because I feel like they're still they can still be comrades and not misappropriate our, our indigenous identity, right? Right. And I think we can look at it through a Marxist lens and say, hey, yeah, like we can decolonize Mexico, but you know, the way you guys, you know, that the way that Mexican nationalism and Chicano nationalism is, has, has done it wrong. And let's talk about it. Let's talk about how, you know, you just, you just through the Marxist lens, it, it's, it's, it's been fucked up. And- yep. And, it, and it's been really fucked up because, you know, it got hijacked by bourgeois uh, thinkers, by Cancelos, and at the same mm -hmm. time, they they use an indigenous mask to hide their guilt, to hide their settler colonial identity. You know, put, by putting this indigenous mask on and saying, "Hey, look, we're indigenous. We're we're not, you know, uh, we're not European or whatever." When they when, when you know when you are. And I think mm -hmm. what you know, um, it's rough because that's one critique I got twenty years ago was people told me Mexico is a Native American state, and I was like, "Fucking excuse yourself, <laughs> right?" <laughs> yeah. And now the same people that have said that are now saying that Mexico is a settler colonial state, like 20, 20, 15 years later, you know. And I was like, yeah. you know, you were you were shitting on me twenty years ago. Like I think I deserve an apology, and these people are still like, 
spreading gossip, slander about me. When all you have, all they have to say, hey man, I, I was wrong back then. I'm still wrong now. You know what I'm saying? And <laughs> you were right. And you know, make can you kind of have a conversation and learn. But no, they want to mm -hmm. re retain this like image of it's, power or whatever yeah. in, in their head to not I think that's wrong, right? Yeah. So go ahead. Definitely. I mean, yeah, like that, that happens a lot. People uh don't want us don't want to be wrong is <laughs> i think what it is is like the individualism um you know showing up once again <laughs> um and it, and it causes a lot of troubles within organizing spaces i think uh because people don't like they take it as a personal attack when you're like critiquing them yeah i know when i wasn't match in you know i wasn't in matchup but uh at uc san diego <laughs> uh there's a big they, they have a whole building the, the rasa center right mm -hmm. this the name itself is like eh, right but you know yeah the, the native uh student organization had no budget at the time we had no director we're the only student org on campus that did not have a director did not have a budget we had office space but we have no ink we did like literally beg for ink right <laughs> so what i did was like i whenever i need something printed like i just went to the you know the, the mecha you know center and i just uh, I had my stuff printed for free, you know, mm. and I was just like looking around. I was like, there's a lot of like Aztec shit in here. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I was like, why? But uh, it's, and uh, I think after a while, they started noticing who I was. And I was just like, I'm just here for the free printing, you know, whatever. I'm just here for the free printing. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, print yeah. At, the, at, the, at the transborder study department also. <laughs> I mean, when you're, when you, you know, you're a student, you got to like, alleviate some of the um the printing or you know that it's stuff the cost of, of like doing academics because even small yeah. stuff like printing costs money you know and i had to go mm -hmm. somewhere else i forgot what center it was it was another building and they also had give free printing it was a little bit more complicated but i was like you know i'd rather go here because i was getting like weird looks you know from the for speaking about this issue back when i was at ucsd at 2014 2016 i was just like i just you know uh I forgot where I was, but there was another, another student org that did the same thing, and you know. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, does anyone have any any comments before I we close out, or anything you want to put out to other matchup people that probably here? Because I, you know, this episode most likely one hundred percent is going to be, you know, Chicanos going to hear it and they're going to be like, you know, appreciate our, our our mutual haters and. They're going to be yeah. like, oh, you know, but if, is there anything you would like to say to other Mecha people that are having these conversations within Mecha? Uh, well, I guess come to the national conference, which is in April 22nd in uh, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we can talk about it there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also, if you want to hit us up on instagram uh for like resources and stuff like that i know like some of the other mecha chapters come to our meetings um uh to see what's up so um you know if y'all want to do that uh, if you need like uh information on marxism leninism maoism uh let us know uh uh or like how to organize your mecha chapter uh, to be more like us, <laughs> uh, hit us up, uh, you know, um, if you want to talk about the name change, hit us up, uh, 
and anybody in Arizona, you, you're welcome to come to our meetings uh, and talk about this stuff too. Thank you. Um, and don't you have a podcast too, no? Or, or am I mistaken? Oh yeah, we have a podcast. Yeah, we have the the heat wave, which is um, we describe it as like a an Arizona-based revolutionary socialist podcast. Um, this this recording is also going to be uh, showcased on on our feed as well. Uh, we currently have like a like twenty episodes up. Um, we we just basically talk about like Arizona related news or issues that that also are like pretty nationally or internationally relevant. Um, we we uh, regularly like we post like every two weeks every two three weeks um a lot of the people that are on there uh just come from different perspectives um different experiences like different level of like um like uh marxist uh, understandings um our latest episode uh i think was the um was talking about how uh like the ukraine thing oh yeah the ukraine thing um uh but the, the episode before that we talked about um the, uh, we analyzed this book uh that was released by the uh, city of tempe which is where asu is based in um it talked about the the um the african like the title of the book is called african-american experience in tempe and we just basically like just called out like all the bullshit that was that was being espoused on how it's just like it's just like a uh, a city advertisement for how so uh, supposedly Tempe is very inclusive, quote unquote inclusive. Um, and uh, there's no racism now, guys. Yeah, there's no racism. <laughs> um, it's, it's more it's just liberal bullshit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, we have we have a lot of episodes like that. So if you want to check us out, feel free. Okay. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, like I said, this is a um, a growing uh, conversation. Is it always evolving? And you know, more and more Native people are being uh, included in, in these you know conversations. And like I said, um, a lot of Native people from Mexico have been saying this. So, and I appreciate their work. You know, and I this is you know this is uh, in respect to them. And I do want to say that if you're listening and you're from Mecha or Chicano or anything, and you know, this hits you in the gut really hard. Um, I had Chicanos tell me that, you know, I had uh, a comrade in San Antonio tell me that uh, this is before I met her, but she said that when she, you know, heard the critiques from other Native people, and then she was like, <laughs> isolated her herself in her room for a week because she was just like distraught <laughs> that everything she learned was just like. You know, fucked, and I was just like, "It's okay, man." I was like, "It's but you're, you're here now, and we have good conversations, you know, and that's what yeah. matters." You know what I'm saying? And I think this is what 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 it's like to grow as a person um, academically. I mean, you don't have to be this person. I don't think they were in the college; they just regular person, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, I and you know, I think growing academically, you know, or, and you know, even with Marxism, you know, like. Um, you know, grown as a, as, a, as a leftist, you know, it's, this is part of it, this critiques, you know, you, you gotta, you know, mm -hmm. weigh them out and, and continue to have conversations. So I hope, you know, um, 
people, you know, even the haters, man, like if you have questions, just if, it's better for you to just uh, come talk to me than being petty and just, you know, angry type posts, you know, on, on your own thing. Like I'm okay having these conversations, like, um, but just, I'm not going to name call and I'm not going to, um, you know, other than Kevin Maupin and Washington the house, they all suck. You know, but <laughs> I hate those guys. Yeah, <laughs> especially especially Maupin. Um, I just, I hate his videos how he makes them. Like he's just like leaning back, his suit is all like choking him. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard because I, I I try to talk to Maupin. I used to be, you know, friends on on Facebook, and Facebook to me is really private, right? For years, yeah. for for a decade, I had Maupin on on my before he was all this popular, whatever he is now, he was just a regular dude, you know, with bad yeah. suits, bad suits back then, bad haircuts, but, you know, <laughs> he had long hair, that was super, you know, curly and, and, uh, you know, and I, and I, and I should have seen the signs, you know, I should have uh-huh. seen the signs and I tried to talk to him about, you know, and uh, he, you know, I talked to him about decolonization, indigenous sovereignty, but he kept on Oslo. And I was like, who's giving you this information? But, you know, a lot, a lot of the people that, yeah, a lot they, of people they, that, they, that, that mutual hate us, they're like really, they were close to, to him than me. And he was just yeah. repeating their shit. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, they're really close to like, because uh, a lot of his like people, um, uh, like, uh, people that come from his like organization, you know, the Center for Political uh, Advancement (CPI). I, I yeah, Center for Political. It stands. It stands for idiocy. They're idiots. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. Uh, but they they talk a lot about like oh Chicanos and like uh, and like uh, and awesome. uh, Aslan uh, because they're close to the Razonida Party people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I noticed that. So when I was talking yeah. to him, and I, I he was about to come on the podcast, and then he heard an episode I did about indigenous socialism, and he was just like, fuck, he would know he said, I don't like this. I'm like, what do you like about it? He was like, I just don't like it. And I was just like, what? okay. And then yeah, I was just like, okay. And then and this is before he blew up. You know, and then mm-hmm. like a year later, he's like super popular now, and everybody's shooting on him rightfully, right? And yeah. um, he's made friends with Haz and all these other clowns. It's funny because he was like, "I hate internet internet leftists," but then he's like <laughs> literally siding with internet leftists. So yeah, the most the most internet people you can imagine. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> so I was just like, "Oh my god!" But yeah, so you know, I think um, if, you, if you if people hear this and uh you know and they I mean, get, it, it makes sense right that the 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 uh chicano nationalists and the patriotic socialists yeah hanging out, are hanging you out know, together. that they're hanging out together like just uh, the same thing like you said earlier yeah and like it's i funny. said it is a, like a, like two weeks ago if that like my, my nato comrade he, he pointed that out and i was just like oh shit like <laughs> <laughs> I this is completely fucked. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So just, you know, if you're a comrade and, you know, are, are questioning, you know, you can reach out and you can have these conversations. Like I said, this is, I think, uh, this is the beginning of, I can see like 
you know, beginning of uh, people calling Chicano uh, nationalism a, a, a seller or a, a patriotic socialist, you know, critique of, of it. So it's coming. Yeah. It's coming. So, yeah, thank you, everybody, for, you know, um, for being on the podcast. I know this isn't easy. I will edit out, you know, the names. I think it was only one time. Was it more than one time? It was, I it think was three times. It was like three times. Okay, then yeah. I hear it. I gotta hear it again. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. It's uh, so uh, thank you. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's it's okay. It's you know, yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk about it later. Don't hang up because we okay. gotta talk about the titles and all that stuff. So. Oh, okay. For sure. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So just to wrap up this this special episode, um, I wanted to plug in our social media and our garden. Um, uh, first things first, we have a community garden, the Vilma Espin Community Garden. We meet at um, we meet at our garden every Saturday at three p.m. Um, recently, we we upgraded uh, the the chicken coop. We reinforced the um, the garden with um, with these uh, with these wooden pallets that we we foraged from from ASU. So um, we're, we're, we're doing some progress. We're doing a lot of progress recently. Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook or on TikTok, uh, we're at uh, Mecha de ASU. Um, if you want to stay updated with the podcast, just follow us at THWPod on Instagram. And yeah, um, that's all, folks. The struggle continues. Venceremos.
bien sabrosa esa música. Ay, no más, dale, mami. Sabrosónico. Sonic.